Tim. Tim Murphy lay in the Land Cruiser, his cheek pressed against the car door handle. He drifted slowly back to consciousness. He wanted only to sleep. He shifted his position and felt a pain in his cheekbone where it lay against the metal door. His whole body ached, his arms, his legs, and most of all his head. There was a terrible pounding pain in his head. All the pain made him want to go back to sleep. He pushed himself up onto one elbow, opened his eyes and retched, vomiting all over his shirt. He tasted sour bile and wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. His head throbbed. He felt dizzy and seasick, as if the whole world was moving, as if he were rocking back and forth on a boat. Tim groaned and rolled onto his back, turning away from the puddle of vomit. The pain in his head made him breathe in short, shallow gasps, and he still felt sick, as if everything was still moving. He opened his eyes and looked around, trying to get his bearings. He was inside the Land Cruiser, but the car must have flipped over on its side, because he was lying on his back against the passenger door, looking up at the steering wheel and beyond at the branches of a tree moving in the wind. The rain had nearly stopped, but water drops still fell on him through the broken front windshield. He stared curiously at the fragments of glass. He couldn't remember how the windshield had broken. He couldn't remember anything, except that he had been parked on the road, and he had been talking to Dr. Grout when the Tyrannosaur had came towards them. That was the last thing he remembered. He felt sick again, and closed his eyes until the nausea passed. He was aware of a rhythmic creaking sound like the rigging of a boat. Dizzy and sick to his stomach, he really felt the whole car was moving beneath him. But when he opened his eyes again, he saw it was true. The Land Cruiser was moving, laying on its side, swaying back and forth. The whole car was moving. Tentatively, Tim rose to his feet. Standing on the passenger door, he peered over the dashboard, looking out through the shattered windshield. At first he saw only dense foliage moving in the wind, but here and there he could see gaps, and beyond the foliage the ground was... the ground was twenty feet below him. He stared, uncomprehendingly. The land cruiser was laying on its side in the branches of a large tree, twenty feet above the ground, swaying back and forth in the wind. Oh shit, he said. What was he going to do? He stood on his tiptoes and peered out, trying to see better, grabbing the steering wheel for support. The wheel spun free in his hand, and with a loud crack the Land Cruiser shifted position, dropping a few feet in the branches of the tree. He looked down through the shattered glass of the passenger door window at the ground. Oh shit, oh shit! He kept repeating it. Oh shit, oh shit! Another loud crack. The Land Cruiser jolted down another foot. He had to get out of here. He looked down at his feet. He was standing on the door handle. He crouched back down on his hands and knees to look at the handle. He couldn't see very well in the dark, but he could tell that the door was dented outward, so the handle couldn't turn. He'd never get the door open. He tried to roll the window down, but the window was stuck too. Then he thought of the back door. Maybe he could open that. He leaned over the front seat and the Land Cruiser lurched with a shifting weight. Carefully, Tim reached back and twisted the handle on the rear door. It was stuck too. How was he going to get out? He heard a snorting sound and looked down. A dark shape passed below him. It wasn't the Tyrannosaur. 
This shape was tubby and it made a kind of snuffling as it waddled along. The tail flopped back and forth and Tim could see the long spikes. It was the stegosaur, apparently recovered from its illness. Tim wondered where the other people were, Gennaro and Sattler and the vet. He had last seen them near the stegosaur. How long ago was that? He looked at his watch but the face was cracked. He couldn't see the numbers. He took off the watch and tossed it aside. The stegosaur snuffled and moved on. Now the only sound was the wind in the trees and the creaking of the land cruiser as it shifted back and forth. He had to get out of here. Tim grabbed the handle, tried to force it, but it was stuck solid. It wouldn't move at all. Then he realised what was wrong. The rear door was locked. Tim pulled up the pin and twisted the handle. The rear door swung open downward and came to rest on a branch a few feet below. The opening was narrow, but Tim thought he could wriggle through it. Holding his breath, he crawled slowly back into the rear seat. The Land Cruiser creaked, but it held position. Gripping the doorposts on both sides, Tim slowly lowered himself down through the narrow angled opening of the door. Soon he was lying flat on his stomach on the slanted door, his legs sticking out of the car. He kicked in the air, his feet touched something solid, a branch, and he rested his weight on it. As soon as he did, the branch bent down and the door swung wider, spilling him out of the Land Cruiser. And he felt leaves scratching his face, his body bouncing from branch to branch, a jolt searing pain, bright light in the head. He slammed to a stop, the wind knocked out of him. Tim lay doubled over a large branch, his stomach burning pain. Tim heard another crack and looked up at the Land Cruiser, a big dark shape five feet above him. Another crack? The car shifted. Tim forced himself to move to climb down. He used to like to climb trees. He was a good tree climber. And this was a good tree to climb. The branches spaced close together, almost like a staircase. Crack! The car was definitely moving. Tim scrambled downward, slipping over the wet branches, feeling sticky sap on his hands, hurrying. He had not descended more than a few feet when the Land Cruiser creaked a final time and then slowly, very slowly, nosed over. Tim could see the big green grill and the front headlights swinging down at him, and then the Land Cruiser fell free, gaining momentum as it rushed towards him, slamming against the branch where Tim had just been, and it stopped. His face, just inches from the dented grill, bent inwards like an evil mouth. Headlamps for eyes. Oil dripped on Tim's face. He was still twelve feet above the ground. He reached down, found another branch, and moved down. Above, he saw the branch bending under the weight of the Land Cruiser, and then it cracked, and the Land Cruiser came rushing down toward him, and he knew he could never escape it. He could never get down fast enough. So Tim just let go. He fell the rest of the way, tumbling, banging, feeling pain in every part of his body, hearing the Land Cruiser smashing down through the branches after him like a pursuing animal. And then Tim's shoulder hit the soft ground. And he rolled as hard as he could and pressed his body against the trunk of a tree as the land cruiser tumbled down with a loud metallic crash and a sudden hot burst of electrical sparks that stung his skin and sputtered and sizzled on the wet ground around him. Slowly, Tim got to his feet. In the darkness, he heard the snuffling and saw the stegosaur coming back, apparently attracted by the crash of the land cruiser. The dinosaur moved dumbly, the low head thrust forward, and a big cartilaginous plate running in two rows along the bump of the back. It behaved like an overgrown tortoise, stupid like that, and slow. 
Tim picked up a rock and threw it. Get away! The rock thumped dully on the plates. The stegosaur kept coming. Go on, go! He threw another rock and it hit the stegosaur on the head. The animal grunted, turned slowly away and shuffled off in the direction he had came. Tim leaned against the crumpled land cruiser and looked around in the darkness. He had to get back to the others, but he didn't want to get lost. He knew he was somewhere in the park, probably not far from the main road, if he could only get his bearings. He couldn't see much in the dark, but then he remembered the goggles. He climbed through the shattered front windshield into the land cruiser and found the night vision goggles and the radio. The radio was broken and silent, so he left it behind, but the goggles still worked. He flicked them on, saw the reassuring familiar phosphorescent green image. Wearing the goggles, he saw the battered fence off to the left and walked towards it. The fence was 12 feet higher, but the tyrannosaur had flattened it easily. Tim hurried across it and moved through an area of dense foliage and came out onto the main road. Through his goggles he saw the other land cruiser turned on its side. He ran toward it, took a breath and looked inside. The car was empty. No sign of Dr. Grant or Dr. Malcolm. Where had they gone? Where had everybody gone? He felt a sudden panic standing alone in the jungle road at night with the empty car and turned quickly in circles, seeing the bright green world in the goggles swirl. Something pale by the side of the road caught his eye. It was Lex's baseball. He wiped the mud off of it. Lex! Tim shouted as loud as he could, not caring if the animals heard him. He listened, but there was only the wind and the plink of raindrops falling from the trees. Lex! He vaguely remembered that she had been in the Land Cruiser when the Tyrannosaur attacked. Had she stayed there, or had she gotten away? The events of the attack were confused in his mind. He wasn't exactly sure what had happened. Just to think of it made him feel uneasy. He stood in the road, gasping with panic. <laughs> Legs! The night seemed to close in around him. Feeling sorry for himself, he sat in a cold, rainy puddle in the road and whimpered for a while. When he had finally stopped, he had still heard whimpering. It was faint, and it was coming from somewhere farther up the road. How long has it been? Muldoon said, coming back into the control room. He was carrying a black metal case. Half an hour? Harding's jeep should be back here by now. Arnold stubbed out his cigarette. I'm sure they'll arrive any minute now. Still no sign of Nedry? Muldoon said. No, not yet. Muldoon opened the case, which contained six portable radios. I'm going to distribute these to the people in the building. He handed one to Arnold. Take the charger, too. These were for the emergency radios, but no one had them plugged in, naturally. Let it charge about twenty minutes, and then try to raise the cars. Henry Wu opened the door marked fertilization and entered the darkened lab. There was nobody here. Apparently all the technicians were still at dinner. Wu went directly to the computer terminal and punched up the DNA logbooks. The logbooks had been kept on the computer. DNA was such a large molecule that each species required 10 gigabytes of optical disk space to store details of all the iterations. He was going to have to check all 15 species. That was a tremendous amount of information to search through. He still wasn't clear why that Grant thought that frog DNA was important. 
Wu himself didn't often distinguish one kind of DNA from another. After all, most DNA in living creatures was exactly the same. DNA was an incredibly ancient substance. Human beings walking around in the streets of the modern world, bouncing their pink new babies, hardly stopped to think at the substance at the centre of it all. The substance that began the dance of life was a chemical almost as old as the earth itself. The DNA molecule was so old that its evolution had essentially finished more than two billion years ago. There had been little new since that time, just a few recent combinations of the old genes, and not much of that. When you compare the DNA of a man and the DNA of a lowly bacterium, you found that only about 10% of the strands were different. This innate conservatism of DNA emboldened Wu to use whatever DNA he wished. In making the dinosaurs, Wu had manipulated the DNA as a sculpture, might clay or marble, he had created freely. He started the computer search program knowing it would take two or three minutes to run. He got up and walked around the lab, checking instruments out of long-standing habit. He noted the recorder outside the freezer door which tracked the freezer temperature. He saw that there was a spike in the graph. That was odd, he thought. It meant that someone had been in the freezer, recently too, within the last half an hour. But who would go in there at night? The computer beeped, signalling that the first of the data searches was complete. Wu went over to see what he had found, and when he saw the screen, he had forgotten all about the freezer and the graph spikes. Latesky DNA Search Algorithm DNA Version Search Criteria RANA DNA Incorporating RANA Fragments Versions Myosaurus 2.1 to 2.9 Procomsognophids 3.0 to 3.7 Othnilia 3.1 to 3.3 Velociraptors 1.0 to 3.0 Hypsilophodontids 2.4 to 2.7 The result was clear. All breeding dinosaurs incorporated RANA or frog DNA. None of the other animals did. Wu still did not understand why this had caused them to breed. But he could no longer deny that Grant was right. The dinosaurs were breeding. He hurried up to the control room. Lex. She was curled up inside a big one meter drainage pipe that ran under the road. She had her baseball glove in her mouth and she was rocking back and forth, banging her head repeatedly against the back of the pipe. It was dark in there, but he could see her clearly with the goggles. She seemed unhurt, and he felt a great burst of relief. Lex, it's me! It's Tim! She didn't answer. She continued to bang her head on the pipe. C come on out! She shook her head. No! He could see she was badly frightened. Lex, if you come out, I'll let you wear these night goggles. She just shook her head. Look what I have, he said, holding up his hand. She stared uncomprehendingly. It was probably too dark for her to see. It's your ball, Lex. I found your ball. So what? He tried another approach. It must be uncomfortable in there. Cold too. Wouldn't you like to come out? She resumed, banging her head against the pipe. Why not? There's aminals out there. That threw him for a moment. She hadn't said aminals for years. The aminals were all gone, Tim said. Th there's a big one, a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. He's gone. Where did he go? 
I don't know, but he's not around here now, Tim said, hoping it wasn't true. Lex didn't move. He heard her banging again. Tim sat outside the pipe on the grass where she could see him. The ground was wet where he sat and he hugged his knees and waited. He couldn't think of anything else to do. I'm just gonna sit here and rest. Is Daddy out there? No, he said, feeling strange. He's back at home, Lex. Is Mommy? No, Lex. Are there any grown-ups out there? Lex said. Not yet, but I'm sure they will come soon. They're probably on their way right now. Then he heard her moving inside the pipe and she came out, shivering with cold and with dried blood on her forehead, but otherwise she was all right. She looked around in surprise and said, Where is Dr. Grant? I don't know. Well, he was here before. He was? When? Before, Lex said. I saw him when I was in the pipe. Where did he go? How am I supposed to know? Lex said, wrinkling her nose. She began to shout, Hello! Hello! Dr. Grant! Dr. Grant! Tim was uneasy at the noise she was making. It might bring back the Tyrannosaur. But a moment later he heard an answering shout. It was coming from the right, over towards the land cruiser that Tim had left a few minutes before. With his goggles, Tim saw with relief that Dr. Grant was walking over towards him. He had a big tear in his shirt at the shoulder, but otherwise he looked okay. Thank God, he said. I've been looking for you. Shivering, Ed Regis got to his feet and wiped the cold mud off his face and hands. He had spent half an hour wedged among big boulders on the slope of a hill below the road. He knew it wasn't much of a hiding place, but he panicked, and he wasn't thinking clearly. He had lain in his muddy cold place and he had tried to get hold of himself, but he kept seeing the dinosaur in his mind, the dinosaur coming toward him, towards the car. Ed Regis didn't remember exactly what happened after that. He remembered that Lex had said something, but he hadn't stopped. He couldn't stop. He had just kept running and running. Beyond the road he had lost his footing and tumbled down the hill and come to rest by some boulders. And it had seemed to him that he could crawl in among the boulders and hide. There was enough room. So that was what he had done. Gasping and terrified, thinking of nothing except to get away from the Tyrannosaur, and finally when he was wedged in like a rat between the boulders, he had calmed down a little, and he had been overcome with horror and shame because he had abandoned those kids. He had just run away. He had just saved himself. He knew he should go back up to the road. He should try to rescue them. Because he had always imagined himself brave and cool under pressure. But whenever he tried to get control of himself, to make himself go back up there, somehow he just couldn't. He started to feel panicky, and he had trouble breathing and he didn't move. He told himself it was hopeless anyway. If the kids were still up there on the road, they could never survive, and certainly there was nothing Ed Regis could do for them. And he might as well stay here where he was. No one was going to know what had happened except him, and there was nothing he could do, nothing he could have done. And so Regis had remained among the boulders for half an hour, fighting off panic, carefully not thinking about whether the kids had died, or about what Hammond would have to say when he found out. What finally made him move was a peculiar sensation he had noticed in his mouth. The side of his mouth felt funny, kind of numb and tingling, and he wondered if he had hurt it during the fall. 
Regis touched his face and felt swollen flesh on the side of his mouth. It was funny, but it didn't hurt at all. Then he realised the swollen flesh was a leech growing fat as it sucked his lips. It was practically in his mouth. Shivering with nausea, Regis pulled the leech away, filling it tear from the flesh of his lips, filling the gush of warm blood in his mouth. He spat and flung it with disgust into the forest. He saw another leech on his forearm and pulled it off, leaving a dark bloody streak behind. Jesus, he was probably covered with them. That fall down the hillside. These jungle hills were full of leeches. So were the dark rocky crevices. What did the workmen say? The leeches... The leeches crawled up your underwear. They liked dark, warm places. They liked to crawl right up your... Hello! He stopped. It was a voice, carried by the wind. Hello, Dr. Grand! Jesus, that was a little girl. Ed Regis listened to the tone of her voice. She didn't sound frightened or in pain. She was just calling in her insistent way, and it slowly dawned on him that something else must have happened that the Tyrannosaur must have gone away, or at least hadn't attacked, and that the other people might still be alive, Grant and Malcolm. Everybody might be alive. And the realisation made him pull himself together in an instant. The way you got sober in an instant when the cops pulled you over. And he felt better, because now he knew what he had to do. And as he crawled out from the boulders, he was already formulating the next step, already figuring out what he would say how he would handle things from this point. Regis wiped the cold mud off his face and hands, the evidence that he had been hiding. He wasn't embarrassed that he had been hiding, but now he had to take charge. He scrambled back up towards the road, and when he emerged from the foliage, he had a moment of disorientation. He didn't see the cars at all. He was somewhere at the bottom of the hill. The Land Cruisers must be at the top. He started walking up the hill back towards the Land Cruisers, it was very quiet. His feet splashed in the muddy puddles. He couldn't hear the little girl any more. Why had she stopped calling? As he walked, he began to think that maybe something had happened to her. In that case, he shouldn't walk back there. Maybe the Tyrannosaur was still hanging around. Here he was already at the bottom of the hill, that much closer to home. And it was so quiet. Spooky, it was so quiet. Ed Regis turned around and started walking back toward the camp. Alan Grant ran his hands over her limbs, squeezing the arms and legs briefly. She didn't seem to have any pain. It was amazing. Aside from a cut on her head, she was fine. I told you I was, she said. Well, I had to check. The boy was not quite so fortunate. Tim's nose was swollen and painful. Grant suspected it was broken. His right shoulder was badly bruised and swollen. But his legs seemed to be all right. Both kids could walk. That was the important thing. Grant himself was all right, except for a claw abrasion down his right chest, where the Tyrannosaur had kicked him. It burned with every breath, but it didn't seem to be serious, and it didn't limit his movements. He wondered if he had been knocked unconscious, because he had only dim recollections of the events immediately preceding the moment he had sat up, groaning in the woods ten yards from the Land Cruiser, at first his chest had been bleeding, so he had stuck leaves on the wound, and after a while it clotted. Then he had started walking around looking for Malcolm and the kids. Grant couldn't believe he was still alive. And as scattered images began to come back to him, he tried to make sense of them. 
The Tyrannosaur should have killed them all easily. Why hadn't it? I'm hungry, Wipe said. Me too, Grant said. We've got to get ourselves back to civilization. And we've got to tell them about the ship. We're the only ones who know, Tim said. Yes, we've got to get back to tell them. Then let's walk down the road towards the hotel, Tim said, pointing down the hill. That way we'll meet them when they come for us. Grant considered that. And he kept thinking about one thing. The dark shape that had crossed between the land cruisers even before the attack started. What animal had it been? He could think of only one possibility. The little Tyrannosaur. I don't think so, Tim. The road was high fences on both sides, Grant said. If one of the Tyrannosaurs is farther down the road, we'll be trapped. Then should we wait here? Tim said. Yes, Grant said. Let's wait here until someone comes. I'm hungry, Lex said. I hope it won't be very long, Grant said. I don't want to stay here, Lex said. Then from the bottom of the hill they heard the sound of a man coughing. Stay here, Grant said. He ran forward to look down the hill. Stay here, he said, and ran forward after him. Lex followed her brother. Don't leave me, don't leave me here, you guys! Grant clapped his hand over her mouth. She struggled to protest. He shook his head and pointed over the hill for her to look. At the bottom of the hill, Grant saw Ed Regis standing rigid, unmoving. The forest around him became deadly silent. The steady background drone of the cicadas and frogs had ceased abruptly. There was only the faint rustle of leaves and the whine of the wind. Lex started to speak, but Grant pulled her against the trunk of the nearest tree, ducking down among the heavy, gnarled roots in the base. Tim came in right after them. Grant put his hands to his lips, signalling them to be quiet and then he slowly looked around the tree. The road below was dark, and as the branches of the big trees moved in the wind, the moonlight filtered through made in a dappled, shifting pattern. Ed Regis was gone. It took Grant a moment to locate him. The publicist was pressed up against the trunk of a tree, hugging it. Regis wasn't moving at all. The forest remained silent. Lex tugged impatiently at Grant's shirt, she wanted to know what was happening. Then, from somewhere very near, they heard a soft, snorting exhalation. Hardly louder than the wind. Lex heard it too, because she stopped struggling. The sound floated toward them, soft as a sigh. Grant thought it was almost like the breathing of a horse. Grant looked at Regis, and saw the moving shadow cast by the moonlight on the trunk of the tree. And then Grant realised that there was another shadow, superimposed on the others, but not moving, a strong curved neck and a square head. The exhalation came again. Tim leaned forward cautiously to look. Lex did too. They heard a crack as a branch broke, and into the path stepped a tyrannosaur. It was the juvenile, about eight feet tall, and it moved with a clumsy gait of a young animal, almost like a puppy. The juvenile tyrannosaur shuffled down the path, stopping with every step to sniff the air before moving on. It passed the tree where Regis was hiding, and gave no indication that it had seen him. Grant saw Regis's body relax slightly. Regis turned his head, trying to watch the tyrannosaur on the far side of the tree. The tyrannosaur was now out of view down the road. Regis started to relax, releasing his grip on the tree. But the jungle remained silent. 
Regis remained close to the tree trunk for another half a minute, and the sounds of the forest returned. The first tentative croak of a tree frog, the buzz of one cicada, and then the full chorus. Regis stepped away from the tree, shaking his shoulders, releasing the tension. He walked into the middle of the road, looking in the direction of the departed Tyrannosaur. The attack came from the left. The juvenile roared as it swung its head toward, knocking Regis flat to the ground. He yelled and scrambled to his feet, but the Tyrannosaurus pounced, and it must have pinned him with his hind leg, because suddenly Regis wasn't moving. He was sitting up in the path, shouting at the dinosaur, and waving his hands at it as if he could scare it off. The young dinosaur seemed perplexed by the sounds of the movement coming from its tiny prey. The juvenile bent its head over, sniffing cautiously, and Regis pounded on the snout with his fists. Get away! Back off! Go on! Back off! Regis was shouting at the top of his lungs, and the dinosaur backed away, allowing Regis to get to his feet. Regis was shouting, Yeah! You heard me! Back off! Get away! And he moved away from the dinosaur. The juvenile continued to stare curiously at the odd, noisy little animal before it. But when Regis had gone a few paces, it lunged and knocked him back down again. It's playing with him, Grant thought. Hey! Regis shouted as he fell. But the juvenile did not pursue him, allowing him to get back to his feet. He jumped to his feet and continued backing away. You stupid! Back! Back! You heard me back! He shouted like a lion tamer. The juvenile roared, but it did not attack. And Regis now edged towards the trees and high foliage to the right. In another few steps, he would be hiding. Back! You! Back! Regis shouted. And then, at the last moment, the juvenile pounced and knocked Regis flat on his back. Cut that out! Regis yelled. And the juvenile ducked his head, and Regis began to scream. No words, just a high-pitched scream. The scream cut off abruptly, and when the juvenile lifted his head, Grant saw ragged flesh in its jaws. Oh no! Lex said softly. Beside her, Tim had turned away, suddenly nauseated. His night vision goggles slipped from his forehead and landed on the ground with a metallic clink. The juvenile's head snapped up, and it looked towards the top of the hill. Tim picked up his goggles as Grant grabbed both the children's hands and began to run. <laughs>